1 Timothy chapter 2. I trust you have your Bible with you this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 2 is where we'll be. Um, if you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. And uh, we trust that you'll make your way back sometime when our pastor's here. We know he'd love to meet you, and he would love to get to know you, and you'll get a better preaching experience with him, right? So we're digging deep today. So we're down, uh, we're not even in the third and fourth on the bench. We're pulling up from the minor leagues. So, uh, no, it's good to be here. I, it is a, an honor uh, to be able to be here this morning uh, with you people and, and uh, to uh, preach the Word of God. And, uh, but First Timothy chapter 2 is where we'll be at. And I do have uh, want to make mention of some friends, Aaron and Terry McCormick, all the way from Washington State. Uh, they filled out their visitor card, so I'm going to put this in the box for them. If, if you other visitors have this, you can put it in the box in the back. Due to COVID, we're not taking up uh, the offering plates as normal. But they got the note on the bottom, and it says the DeGarmos forced us to be here. So, uh, but uh, I told them I got, they filled it out, I got to share it. So, uh, but no, it's good to have you guys with us and, and all of you visitors. It's, it's good to meet you folks earlier this morning, and, and we're glad you're here. But uh, did I tell you First Timothy chapter 2? That's where we're at this morning. We're going to talk about an uh, instruction on prayer this morning. Instruction on prayer. And uh, 1 Timothy here was written by Paul to Timothy uh, in the early to mid-60s, right? And I'm not talking about the 1960s. I know some of you folks are, man, this is older than you. I know you feel old being from the 60s and all, but this is even older than you. But um, excuse me, no wonder I'm having a hard time seeing. I don't have my geek goggles goggles on, so sorry. Apologize. But uh, there we go. I can read my notes now. So this is being live streamed. What a mess. So, but uh, <clears throat> it's important whether it's live stream or not, let's be honest. Anyway, but uh, I think it was written in the, in the mid, early to mid-60s. Um, I saw some folks that said prior to that, and, and, and folks, it, it appears to me it was written between his two imprisonments. Um, you know, 2 Timothy chapter uh, 1 alludes, Paul mentions him as a prisoner, and for Timothy not to be ashamed of Christ or him as the prisoner. And uh, so, but uh, in any case, uh, the circumstances of this letter is Paul writing to Timothy that he had left at Ephesus. If you look at uh, chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that you might as charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So he had left Timothy there at Ephesus to set things in order, if you will. And so this morning, we're going to talk about some instruction on prayer. And uh, this passage really exhorts us to pray. Uh, Listen, this morning, God's people ought to be a praying people. God's people ought to be a praying people. Um, Listen, but if we're not careful, we can be selfish or limit our prayer to the church and our families and, and neglect other areas or people for whom we should be praying as we'll see in the text here as we move on in a moment. Our Christian lives ought to impact our conduct as citizens. I feel like I just said this. Maybe it's because I did, but um, it's weird back-to-back. It's unusual. But but did you hear what I said? Our Christian lives ought to impact our conduct as citizens. But I'm afraid uh, that too often believers separate or compartmentalize their, their spiritual or Christian life from the other aspects of their life. They, they pull the work box off the shelf and go to work and, 
when they come home, they put that back, and they, and they got a family box, and they got the church box, and, and the different things. And, and the Word of God tells us that our lives, our conversation, <clears throat> ought to be only becoming of the gospel. Every aspect ought to be permeated with our Christian life, or, or our Christian Christianity uh, ought to permeate every aspect of our life, if you will. Uh, so we're going to talk about instruction on prayer. Uh, Timothy, in chapter 2, and verse 1, the Word of God says this, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Father, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will, therefore, that men everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to gather as a free people this morning, and I pray that you would, uh, Lord, speak to each and every heart here. I ask that you give me clarity, Lord, and that you would fill with the Spirit of God, and, Lord, that you would do a work that only you can in each and every heart. I pray that the lost would be saved, and, Lord, that the people of God would be challenged, Lord, to walk closer to thee and to have a greater pit impact in our community. And we'll give you the thanks for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned, our Christian lives or our Christianity ought to permeate our entire life. And I believe if we prayed more, that would happen. And so this morning we see this uh, call to prayer, if you will, in verse 1. Uh, Paul says here, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Paul exhorts Timothy and the church here at Ephesus and, and really us today uh, through the word of God to pray for all men. Uh, the Greek word here to, or for exhort is, I'll try to pronounce it, par ak aeo. Something to that effect. Brother Chapel's not here to help me figure that one out um, in his uh, scholarly studies. But uh, uh, it is more than just a suggestion for us to do something. Here it has the idea of a call uh, or to invoke or to beseech. Uh, this morning it's more than a mere suggestion, but rather an imperative that we do it. He's exhorting us. And uh, when paired with the term here, it says, first of all, uh, I think we can clearly see the context uh, that, is, that is to be regarded with primary concern when you talk about first of all, not necessarily first in order. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 12 um, and then 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. Luke chapter 12 verse 1. I'm going to read these. You don't have to, uh, but if you would like to, uh, you can turn there. But we're going to look at this term first of all in a couple other passages here. In, in Luke 12, 1, it says this, In the meantime, when they were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, Insomuch that they trod one upon another, 
he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And then 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 says this, Knowing this first, that no privacy of the, or prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. And so what we're looking at here is it does not mean that, that first of all, or the exhortation to pray was to be the first thing in the order of time or in the order of a service, but that it was to be regarded as a duty of primary importance. He's exhorting. He's saying, first of all, this is important. It's significant. Do not neglect this. We need to pray for all men, it says, and it's very important. The duty of praying for the salvation of the world was not to be regarded as a subordinate or secondary thing. It was of primary importance. <clears throat> but, you know, however, I don't think it's a wrong thing to start things in prayer. Um, usually we start our services in prayer. And uh, I'll remember back when I was uh, the Sunday school superintendent uh, in a church in Las Vegas. Um, I say Sunday school superintendent, but really I was just a 20-year-old one, 21, 22, 23-year-old idiot, right? I didn't know anything. Um, but we were in a church there. It was a new church plant, and, and the pastor had put me in charge of the Sunday school ministry, right? I was the superintendent. It was this big, fancy name. I didn't even know what superintendent meant back then. But, um, but my responsibility as the Sunday school superintendent, we had a common curriculum that most all the ages used, and so I was responsible the week before the teachers would teach their class that lesson, I had to teach that lesson to all the teachers. And I had to teach it to, to him as the pastor because he taught the same lesson. And uh, that was a very unnerving time. I was young, and I, I'm going to teach the pastor how to teach this lesson. That doesn't mean, anyway, but, uh, but one of the things that taught me and what I shared with, uh, that God really gave me and I shared with the teachers at that time was preparing prayer. Preparing prayer. Prayer is important. And as I was, uh, my wife can attest to this, I was not sure what to preach on, and, and sometimes just finding the right passage is difficult. Right? You know, once you find the passage that God has or that wants you to use, you can begin to break things down and, and, and build an outline and, and do some things. And, and, uh, but listen, it has to begin with prayer. God, I need your help. And so I'm not saying that prayer shouldn't come first in a lot of things, but what I'm telling you this morning, the emphasis of the, the context of this passage is prayer is important. We're exhorted to pray. First of all, pray for all men. Uh, I don't think we can overemphasize the importance of prayer. I, I don't think it's possible. And I know if any, many of us would admit today, we should probably be praying more. Um. But, but we have a call to prayer here that's more than just an encouraging word to say, hey, I will, you need to pray more. It's imperative. It's of utmost importance that you pray, and it says that you pray for all men. Uh, and that can be difficult at times. We're to pray for our enemies. Uh, we're to pray for those people that we have a disagreement with right now in our nation. Uh, we have a lot going on in America. Uh, things are in an uproar, and we need to be praying for those men. Uh, and, 
And uh, listen, we need to be praying for the kings and for all that are in authority. Uh, <clears throat> we ought to be a type. Uh, we ought to be a praying people as God's people. Paul here is stressing the importance of prayer for all men. And then this morning we have the type of prayer. And so he says we ought to be praying for all men, and he, and he classifies a certain group of people here. It says kings and for all that are in authority, and that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. But he tells us in that verse, verse there that it ought to be supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. Uh, different types or aspects of prayer, if you will. And, and uh, <clears throat> Matthew Henry gave us this, and, and sometimes when you're preparing and, and you're kind of uncertain the direction you want to go, you look to a commentary, and to be quite honest, I really thought Matthew Henry would have a little something more for me on this one. But this is what Matthew Henry says here. Supplications for the averting of evil, prayers for the obtaining of good, intercessions for others, and thanksgivings for mercies already received. And I'm talking the unabridged version. I'm not even talking about the concise version of Matthew. You know, the whole thing, that's all he gave me. I was like, I'm supposed to get in front of people and expound on this. What, that's all you got for me? And so uh, thankfully, that I, the Lord gave me some more stuff, and I did some more studying. And, and, uh, but you guys are a tough crowd this morning. Uh, supplications. To prevent evil, and I looked at what Webster's 1828 said about this. It says, entreaty, humble, and get this word, earnest prayer. Earnest prayer, and I believe that's what supplications are. They're a little more earnestness in your prayer. Not just a general one, but a little more fervent. Uh, I don't know if you can have a more meaningful prayer, but it's a little more meaningful. There's an earnest there in, in, in that prayer. And it goes on, it says, In all our supplications to the Father for of mercies, let us remember a world lying in ignorance and wickedness. And when you think of supplications for them and, and the earnestness that we ought to have for the situation those people are in, lost without Christ in the judgment that is coming. And they need a Savior. And we ought to be supplicating. We ought to have supplications for all men and for kings and for those that are in authority. And in prayers here, it says to procure good, right? We're praying for God's goodness in our lives. And in worship, a solemn address to the supreme being consisting of adoration or an expression of our sense of God's glorious perfections, confessions of our sins, supplications for mercy and forgiveness, intercessions for the blessings on others, and thanksgivings or an expression of gratitude to God for His mercies and benefits. And so that's kind of a more general thought, right? Prayers, right? And so if we say we were going to pray, I think it would include all these different categories that we're looking at this morning. Um, but let's look at intercessions a little bit. The idea of interceding uh, has the idea of on the behalf of others. Uh, you're interceding, you're going before God's throne on the behalf of other people. And I want to remind you of Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, and it says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We must be familiar with the needs of others in order to effectively intercede on their behalf. The Spirit of God knows things about us that we don't even know. 
and He's interceding on our behalf. What a blessing to know. What, a, what an amazing thing to think about that, that God, the Spirit of God, is interceding on our behalf. And it says, with groanings that cannot be uttered. Have you ever been in prayer and, and, and tears were filling your eyes and, and you were so burdened about something that you just didn't know what to pray for? When's the last time you interceded on somebody's behalf at the throne of grace? We are encouraged, exhorted. It's imperative that we do it. Go before the throne of God and say, God, these people have this situation. But you can't do that if you don't know them. And it talks about for kings and for all their authority, and I don't think you're going to be able to get a hold of the president, if you call the White House, but you could probably get a hold of the mayor of South Dakota, or uh, not the mayor, the governor of South You probably could get a hold of Christy Dome, the governor, but, but you could probably get a hold of the mayor of Rapid City if you called. Do we know what his needs are? Aside from the obvious, basic understanding that we know that he needs Christ, what challenges is he facing as he leads the city? Um, when we went home to Spokane back in, uh, I guess it was June, uh, to see my mother-in-law, uh, we attended the church that Cindy and I kind of grew up in. I guess kind of we did grow up in there. She was a son, was brat on the bus there. Um, I got uh, into the church as a teenager, the school ministry there. I was getting in a lot of trouble. My dad threw me into school. and and But anyway, we went back to visit family and friends. And and uh, so we're in church there, and it, the COVID stuff, obviously, it, there's not anybody in the world that hasn't been touched by this probably at this point. They're talking about countries in the Amazon that have no contact with people who have COVID. How do they know if we don't have contact? Anyway, but, um, but everybody's been affected by this thing, right? And, and so, and in Washington, they weren't as blessed as the people of South Dakota, and, and they were mandated to close the doors of the church. And, and so at the beginning of the, the, the outbreak or the virus, if you will, um, there was a lot of uncertainty. People didn't know. They just said, hey, this thing is really bad, and, and people were nervous. And so out of being prudent, the Pastor Boyle said, you know what? We're going to close it. We don't know where this is going. We don't know how deadly this thing is. And, and so they did. But after several weeks and, and, and things kind of went on, I don't know how many weeks it was exactly, but uh, he felt God impressing on his heart to open the church back up. Yeah. But there was a mandate that we can't. And so I believe he called the mayor, and I know he called the police chief there in Spokane, and, and he said, listen, we're not trying to be rebels. He said, we're just trying to honor God. Well, I believe this is what God wants us to do, is, is we can't continue without having church services and open up. And, and that police chief made some type of a, a, a profession uh, 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 to being a believer, and, and so he said, you know what, I, go ahead, let's do it. And he was just trying to get to know the police chief, and I mean, that's the guy that's going to shut him down, right? And so uh, it was a couple weeks later or the next week, maybe a few days, I'm not certain, but the riots happened after George Floyd was, was killed. And, and uh, so things got, and got crazy. There were some riots in downtown Spokane. And, and so Pastor Boyle, he called up the police chief, tried to anyway. I don't think he got through. And he left a message for him and said, listen, I'm praying for you. Because he knew that police chief and the men and the women that were serving in that police force needed God's help. Listen, we got to get to know the people that are around us so we can effectively pray for them. And that takes us getting involved. 
We can't just stand by and, 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 I mean, we can. We can stand by and give generic prayers that are as blank as this backside of this paper. Oh, God bless them. God protect them. Meet their needs. We've all prayed those things. But you can't truly intercede with somebody until you know what they're facing and the challenges that they have in their life. The Apostle Paul is telling Timothy here, this is of paramount importance in the ministry there at Ephesus. Of any ministry that you're going to go to after that. In the church, this is of paramount importance that we pray for all men. We pray for our governing officials. And so we ought to be a praying people. Praying for those. And, and so we have the types of prayer here, right? And, and the last one's probably the easiest one, right? Giving of thanks. Right? And, and uh, just thanking the Lord for mercy he's already received. Have you thanked the Lord for our government and its officials lately? It can be a challenge at times. When they make decisions that are contrary to what the people that they represent desire, it can be a challenge. Nonetheless, we ought to be thanking God for them and praying and trying to intercede on their behalf. Are you praying for them this morning? Have you thanked God for them? We ought to be earnestly, fervently praying for all men. At such a time as this, how much more for those that represent us and our governing officials? I believe this with all my heart. I believe the turning of our nation back to God is going to start with God's people praying. It's not going to start with us beating on the walls, saying, I want my Second Amendment right. I want my... It's going to start with us going before the throne of God and saying, God, we need you. We can't do it without you. <clears throat> the why of prayer this morning. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says here, For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Why do we pray? Uh, the purpose of our prayer here is that we can live very plainly here in verse uh, 2. It says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So I were praying for these officials. Simple. Even I can understand it. I think we can all relate to the desire to live a quiet and peaceable life without oppressive government oversight. I think we can all relate to that. That's reasonable expectation. Uh, and uh, we, we would love to have that. You know, we see a great example of this principle in Nehemiah chapter 1. If you want to turn there, Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to read verse 11. Here we see Nehemiah grieved by the condition of his people and the condition of Israel, or Jerusalem, excuse me, of Jerusalem. And uh, we know that he's there and, and uh, the friends of his come and they give him a report of what's going on with the people of God and, and in Jerusalem and, in the, and the walls are laid waste and, and those things. And, and Nehemiah takes time and he begins to pray. He, he goes before the throne of God and, and he asks God to forgive the, his nation and he confesses his sins and the sins of his nation. And he weeps, that passage tells us there in Nehemiah chapter 1. And he goes before God saying, God... Forgive us. And then in verse 11, we come here and we see his prayer for the king. Uh, <clears throat> for the king that we know that he works for. Uh, the, he was the cupbearer of the king. And it says this 
In verse 11 in Nehemiah chapter 1, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. They're just wanting to live godly or a peaceable life in all godliness. That's his prayer. They just want to live in, in peace and, and uh, they want to serve him, fear him and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. That man is the king. He's appealing to his God to work in the heart of the king. And the last part of that verse says, for I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah was burdened for the condition of God's people and the condition of Jerusalem, and he wanted to do something about it. And he started in prayer. He went before his God, and he, and he, and he dealt with some things. They got some things right, so to speak, there in, in the first part of chapter 1. And then he appeals to his God and says, God, I need you to work in the heart of this king. I have a work I want to do for you. I'm the cupbearer. I have responsibilities, but I want to go and do something for the cause of Christ or the cause of, uh, of the Lord. And, and Nehemiah was burdened for the work of God and prayed for liberty to do something about it. Have you prayed for our nation through all of this? I don't think we can overemphasize the need that our nation needs prayer. Do you want to continue to have the liberty you have today to serve God, to share the gospel, to, to have the word of God in your hands? You need to pray. Uh, you need to seek God's face and ask God to do a work in the hearts of those officials that can affect that change. Don't be so foolish to think that our constitution is, is unbreakable. It's a man-made document. I know God was in the, the founding of our nation. I believe that with all my heart. But listen, if the people of God aren't praying, the hand of God's protection will be limited. Nehemiah wanted to do something about it. And why? We say, why do we want to do this? They wanted to live a life in peace and quietness. And it goes on there, it says, in all godliness and honesty. Here we have our duty as Christians summed up in two words. This is what Matthew Henry says. He helped me out a little better on this one. He summed it up in two words. Godliness, that is the right worshiping of God, and honesty, that is a good conduct towards all men. We cannot expect quiet and peaceful lives if we do not do our part to live godly and honestly in this world. Everybody wants peace, but they don't want to do their part. Uh, we got to live a godly life and, and, and be honest uh, in our lives and, and uh, do our part so that we can have a quiet and peaceful life. Not only do we pray for the outward or physical benefit, right? Everybody wants the physical, the outward, obvious. The government allows us to gather together and worship in a way that we believe God wants us to. Everybody wants that. But there's another reason why we ought to be praying. Not only do we pray for the outward or physical benefit, but it is pleasing to God. Look at verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. God is pleased when we pray. When we intercede and when we give thanks. And we have supplications for other people. 
for men. God, that pleases Him. As the people of God, we should strive to do and abound in those things that please Him. That ought to be our goal, just striving to do those things that please the Master. Uh, I looked up the word abound, and I love this definition because it uses one of my favorite words. And, and the word abound in Webster's 1828 says this, to have or possess in great quantity, to be copiously supplied. Copious, I love that word. So, but listen, we ought to be abounding in the things that please God. Listen this morning, do you have copious amounts of prayer in your life? I'm afraid in most Christians' lives and in our churches today that copious is not a word that we would use to describe our prayer life. But that's the challenge from the Apostle Paul to Timothy to set things in order in the church and and to make sure things that are are going right is, is pray. It pleases God. It will result in a quiet and peaceable life. Did you know God answers prayer? God answered the prayer of Nehemiah. He said, God sent mercy on this man, and God sent mercy, and he gave him leave. And he he funded it too, right? God can do abundantly exceeding above all that we ask or think. He even asked for those things initially. And God went above and beyond and met those needs. And I believe it's because Nehemiah got on his face before God in tears. Burdened for the work of God. And burdened for the people of God. And he wanted to do work. How's your prayer life this morning? We ought to pray because it will lead to a quiet and peaceable life. We ought to pray because it pleases God. Perhaps if we were more passionate about living godly and honest, as we are defending our constitutional rights, we could make a greater impact for Christ in our nation. Perhaps if we were as passionate about living godly and honestly as we are defending our constitutional rights, we could make a greater impact for Christ in our nation. Don't forget to keep the main thing the main thing. Nehemiah's desire was to serve God and restore order in Jerusalem, and consequently he prayed for God to work in the heart of the king. What's your motive for behind prayer to please God or just to invoke your rights we ought to be abounding in those things that please God that's why we pray and number four this morning the desired result of prayer look at verse four down through verse six actually verse three for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Here's the desired result. God's not willing that any should perish. Does it mean that all will come to Christ? No. No. But we ought to pray that they will. God desires that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul here is echoing what Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
Jesus is the only way. And in today's society and even in this society, right? Paganism and, and the things that were going on in uh, Ephesus and, and in the New Testament, it's no different today. People think there's a lot of different ways. And there's not. There's one way. Jesus Christ. It is through one mediator and one alone. The man, Christ Jesus. Listen this morning, there is no valid way to God that does not come through Jesus. We all have different circumstances regarding our salvation testimonies, but they all have the common Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, if you don't know Christ, you don't have salvation. And this morning, if you have salvation, we have a common Savior. There's only one way. Listen this morning, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. <clears throat> no one can earn salvation on their own. Can't do it. We're all unworthy, but Christ, the sinless Lamb, came and died in our place that we might have a relationship with the Father. Today, if you are without Christ, you do not possess salvation. But I want you to turn your attention to verse 6 and see something. It says, who gave himself a ransom, that's Christ, he gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And I want to tell you this morning, today is due time. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That's what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Today you can be saved if you turn to Christ and Christ alone. If you're here without Christ this morning, I urge you, don't leave this place until you talk to somebody. And we can take the Bible and show you how to know for sure that you have a relationship with God. In conclusion this morning, I want to remind us, of believers, of our responsibility as ambassadors. <clears throat> we all have this responsibility. Just as Paul, there, if you look at verse 7, it says, Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ, and I lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity, in faith and truth. The Apostle Paul was ordained, and we know that. He was a preacher, he was an apostle, he was a teacher. Just like he had a job, we do as well. If you want to turn there, you can turn to first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 14 down through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 says this, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for <clears throat> all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, or wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we know Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Here it is. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he 
hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Listen this morning, we all have been given a new occupation. If you're in Christ this morning, you have a new job. We are to proclaim, excuse me, we are to proclaim Christ and his redeeming power. Uh, This starts in prayer. And listen, it starts in prayer and takes precedence over other earthly occupations. Takes precedence over those things. We must now use our secular job as a means to execute our heavenly calling. You're an ambassador. It's changed. Most of you this morning know that I'm in the Air Force. In the Air Force, we have what's called an Air Force specialty coat. I have two. I actually had three. I was at air traffic control when they recruited me. My brother-in-law said it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I got there, and it was an office job, and I was like, not so much. Uh, anyway, I was medically removed from air traffic control, and, and so the Air Force saw fit to send me to CE uh, to become an electrical systems uh, <clears throat> guy, right? So they sent me to Civil Engineering Squadron, trained me to be an electrician, and uh, that became my primary Air Force specialty code. My primary job is electrical systems, low voltage, high voltage, uh, distribution stuff, and all kinds of alarms and airfield lighting. It's very broad, right? So you kind of know a little bit about everything, but you're not good at any of it type thing. And uh, so I did that for a a while, right? I don't know, almost 10 years, eight, nine years. And then um, in 2010, the Air Force said, we have way too many electricians. Apparently, I love my job. Apparently, everybody else did. Nobody wanted to get out. Nobody wanted to change. So they said, we got too many of these guys, right? And so... I had got a line number for promotion, and the way that they were doing it, there was a shortage of technical sergeants in structural and a list of other jobs. And they said, so there's too many techs here, not enough here. Pick from this list or get out. And I, didn't, I prayed about it. I didn't think God wanted me to get out of the Air Force, and so I wanted to pick from that list of a bunch of jobs I was not interested in, security forces and intel and all this stuff that doesn't interest me. I'm not saying they're bad jobs, but not for me. But there was a job on there, and it was structural craftsman. It's in CE. I know CE. I'll stay in CE. I can handle that. And so they sent me to school. It's carpentry, masonry, welding, locksmithing. It's so broad. It, it, like, again, you're not good at any of it. You just kind of know about all of it. And uh, so now that today is my primary Air Force specialty code is structural. That's my job. That's what the Air Force expects me to do. Expects me to train those coming up, manage the people that are doing it, and execute the mission as needed. They can still call me to be an electrician. But my primary job, because I was hoping they would call me back, because I didn't, this wood butcher and stuff, carpentry is not for me, right? So I was hoping they'd call me back, but they never did. And it's, I'm past that. I'm old now. I'm old hat, so... They don't want me back there. And so here I am, and, and that's my job. That's what they expect me to do. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you're in Christ, you have a new AFSC Amen. as an ambassador of the gospel. Amen. I don't care what you do to make a living, to support your family. Your primary occupation is to share the gospel of Christ with other people around you. That's what the Apostle Paul said. 
Christ gave himself. He died to be, he was a ransom for all. Whereunto am I ordained a preacher and an apostle. And just like he is ordained in that sense, we are ordained as the ministers of reconciliation. Don't ever forget that that's your primary purpose here. Church, it's of utmost importance that we pray for all men. We pray for our governing officials, for those that that affect change in our nation. We pray for their salvation and we intercede on their behalf. But so much more important is that we proclaim the saving grace of, of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You are a minister of reconciliation. We must now use our secular job as a means to execute our heavenly calling. I hope we identify like that. Not the other way. I got this job so I can tithe. That's not why you got that job. You got that job to minister. That's your ministry. Your area. And listen, our pastor is overworked and underpaid. This is three times in the morning and, and stuff like that. That's a lot of work. And listen, that's his job. Full time. That's what he does. And he's a good job at it. Um, we might not come here and, and labor and prayer in the Word every day. We might go out and, 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 and fix a toilet, repair a car, turn a breaker on, whatever the case may be. But don't ever forget that that's not your primary mission in life as a, person, or as a child of God. It's the minister. In conclusion this morning, I want to ask you this, Christian. How's your prayer life? How's your witnessing life? Verse 8 says this, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. We must be a praying people with holy hands not given to evil, without anger, and in faith praying for all men, especially that all men would be saved. Let's pray.